Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, we revisit a guest some of you first met three years ago. She's eloquent on a topic most of us don't discuss, and you certainly won't read about it in books or articles on professional women. Yes, we've gained ground. And yes, we have more important positions and we're more influential. The price is that we are working more, and many of us are working for less money, and that takes a toll on people's self-care practices, including paying attention to their intimate lives. Yep. Evelyn Resch is back to talk about the negative effect our work culture can have on our relationships and what we can do about it. So if you didn't hear my original show with sexuality counsellor and author Evelyn Resch, I'm actually going to suggest you hit pause on this show now and go and download or play that original show first. It's number 19. I also repeated it as show 38. It's called Women, Work and Sex. It's a great introduction to Evelyn and to why I wanted to talk about sex in the context of a podcast like this one. But the thing with this show is it's not just about our working lives. It's about our lives. And work affects so many aspects of life, including our sex lives. And for the more reticent among you know this isn't about to turn into the Dan Savage sex podcast. Evelyn is a nurse midwife, and she comes at this from her position as someone who cares deeply about women's health and about women's ability to take pleasure in life, all types of pleasure. And she says our 24-7 culture has pretty much eroded our relationship to slow enjoyment of everyday things. Even something as simple as sitting down with a cup of coffee and reading the paper rather than grabbing it on the go and slurping it in your car. We had a long conversation and what I'm doing is I'm going to divide it into two shows. So I'll release the next part of our discussion next week so you won't have to wait a full two weeks for that one. And just to let you know, I spoke to Evelyn by phone, which is not normally something I do because the quality isn't great. Evelyn lives in a rural part of Massachusetts. There's no cell service, so she didn't have an iPhone to tape her end of the conversation with. We tried Skype a few times, but there was a horrible ringing on the line that would have driven you crazy. So in the end, we used her landline. I started off by asking her to describe her work. It's changed a bit since I last spoke to her. She recently got her second master's degree. This one's in nursing education. And these days she's taking care of pregnant women and women needing gynecological care. And quite a few of them have drug problems. I have a very large percentage of people, actually 30%, who are opioid addicted and who need an enormous amount of health education uh, and that 30% actually is from just my maternity caseload. That's not even my gynecological caseload. So I'm doing a lot of addiction medicine, a lot of primary care, a lot of health education every single day on a myriad of subjects. 
And sexual health is really tied into just about all of it. And then the remainder of my practice is very mixed between professional people, a working class clientele, and working poor. She commutes an hour each way by car, and she's pretty wiped out when she gets home. So she does understand how much work can take out of you. I reminded her of what we discussed last time, the fact that a lot of women give too much to our work. And you talked about their sense of obligation to their jobs and how we could all feel less responsible to work and probably not be fired. But then I know you yourself have have fallen into that trap in recent years, right? Yes, it's been very stressful and it's been interesting to live the experience of women who've come to see me for care and then write about it from my own perspective as well as have it seasoned and sprinkled and to some extent adorned by their their experience. I feel that what's happening in the workplace for professional women is that, yes, we've gained ground, and yes, we have more important positions and we're more influential, but there's a price to be paid with that influence. And the price is that we are working more and many of us are working for less money, even if our status has shifted and it's gotten higher. And that takes a toll on people's self-care practices, including paying attention to their intimate lives. Because what women will do is they'll prune and snip and, and take away from that seat of power, which is their primary relationship, their loving relationship, because they feel often, and sometimes this is true, but after a certain point it isn't, that that's such a sturdy seat of power that they can afford to do that. But if they do it for too long and they do it too often, then their center of gravity starts to shift. Yeah, that was, I re-listened to the show we did a few years ago at the end of last week in preparation for talking to you today. And it's still so fresh. Everything you talked about is still true. And I'm sure it's true of a lot of people listening who have perhaps jobs and kids and a partner that, as you said in that show, their partner gets less. They end up putting the partner last. They do. And what's interesting about this and what's difficult is that it impacts the quality of life across the board for women. And one of the things that also gets interfered with consistently are self-care practices. And I see people's intimate lives as being an aspect of their self-care. Because generally speaking, women will say to me, you know, when we are intimate, I feel so much better and I ask myself over and over again, why don't we do this more often? I feel good the next day. I feel re-energized. I feel connected. And they go off and their hearts are lighter and they feel more positive. And then more and more days go by, and then it becomes a month, and then it becomes six weeks, and people haven't tended to their intimate lives. And then the cycle starts all over again. And then, for instance, okay, I know somebody who has said, I just, like sex, it's the last thing on my list. She has a really busy job here in New York. She has a husband. She has two, you know, below the age of 10 children. And she's like, yeah, I just... I I can't be bothered. I don't want it. Mm -hmm. I hear this from people often. And then what happens is they'll say this to me. They'll come to me. They'll want some sort of magic bullet 
about how do I resurrect this? How do I want this more? How do I engage more? And I'll say to them, well, in order to do that, you have to prioritize it. And it's a disciplined practice. The same way your exercise schedule is or paying attention to having a sound diet or getting to bed early enough or turning off your your communication device, whatever it is, it's a disciplined practice. So you have to decide how important is it to you. And then they say, oh, it's very important. Then it be actually is not as important as they identified it as being. And then they wonder two or three years later why their relationship has fallen to pieces. I didn't see this coming. I had no idea. And I'm thinking, yeah, you did have an idea. You came to me three years ago. You knew that this was an important piece. And this isn't to say that in any relationship, whether it's a same-sex relationship or heterosexual, that men, for example, you know, I often will hear from heterosexual women. Well, that's all he wants. You know, he's just constantly coming after me. And I have worked with too many men to believe that that's the case in for most men. Most men that I've worked with who are heterosexual deeply love their partner are not chasing them down like wild dogs. What they're doing is they're saying, I really miss you. I miss this contact. And I want you to pay more attention to me than you're paying to work, to our children, to your girlfriends, your family, and then, oh, postscript, your mate. And we should, I suppose I've, I should say, or we should say that, uh, for instance, um, after the last show ran, I got a comment from a guy who said, you should know it's not just women who feel this way because of work. Oh, I think that that's absolutely true. And I think that it that the other factor that's involved in this, which has changed since you and I first spoke, is that I too am older and feeling it. I'm 57. My age match peers who are professional people are really feeling this. And we often talk about how at the end of the day, all we have anything left for is to come home figure out what we want to put on our toast for dinner and then decide what we need to zone out on for an hour and a half on television before we go to sleep and start all over again. And men are absolutely feeling this way. But part of what's happened in the American culture is that work has taken such a central stage and the second you know, uh, stage is children that American couples are living in sexless marriages everywhere. And my feeling is it's not good for families, it's not good for children, and it's definitely not good in terms of how we perceive our work. Because what ends up happening is that eventually, you know, people crack and they just say, I can't do this anymore. And you lose an entire pool of talented people because the system that they're trying to function in is really not a system that's, health-promoting or joyful. It's productivity-promoting. It's focused on getting the job done. But that's not the only thing that's happening in people's lives. And when they start taking these hits at the end of the day when they come home or when they start the day and they leave the house after they've had you know, so much bickering or some big blow-up, it doesn't make for a very productive work. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And, you know, as you were talking and talking about America in particular, I have quite a lot of listeners in other countries. And that makes me wonder. I wonder, like, I wonder my listeners in Sweden, I wonder if they have sexier marriages than the average American couple. I'd, I'd be interesting to know because, of course, work cultures are different in different parts of the world. And they're not as intense in places like France and, and some of the Scandinavian countries, which have shorter work days and more emphasis on family life. Well, and what's interesting is not only do they have shorter work days and more time for holiday time, they also have more productivity. So it's fascinating to me that we have so much evidence-based research to confirm that workers are more productive when they have more time off and shorter work weeks, and yet in the American system of work, we still see people putting in 12, 13, 14, 15-hour days. And because I work in the OBGYN field and clinical medicine in general, I, I'm very familiar with people needing to take call. Meaning being on call. And I took call for years. And many times what comes in on call is really catastrophic, especially with a very high-risk population, which is what I'm dealing with. And I see my OBGYN colleagues working incredibly hard, making life and death decisions when they're on call. It's very serious work, and they're exhausted. They're absolutely exhausted, and they do get more time off, for example, than I do just because otherwise they wouldn't be able to function at all. But even if you're not on call, when you're working 12 to 15-hour days every single day and you only get three weeks off a year, that's just... That's just plain wrong, and it's unhealthy. So it's a curious thing that goes on in the United States because we have lots of good evidence from other parts of the world that productivity would improve and family life would improve, and yet we persist in this two to three weeks off a year and people working long days and long hours. That discussion about European attitudes led us down a side route, talking about how much more evolved countries like the Netherlands are in educating their young about sex. The result is many fewer teenage pregnancies compared to the U.S. And she says that lack of sex education in America, it raises its head even when she's working with middle-aged patients. These are professional women that I'll work with sometimes who are CEOs of companies. And, you know, my population is quite diversified. And I still actually work at... um, Canyon Ranch in Lenox, which is a destination wellness spa, very elite population, very upper class. And these people are very bright, very well educated, and they still will have conversations with me that are positively confounding. And I'll think to myself, how is it that you, you know, have had your whole life to learn this, and still at 52, you, you have no idea really of what you're talking about? Can you give me an example? Okay, so I'll give you a perfect example. I had a woman who was the CEO of a very large company. She had a very, very demanding, serious job. She had been recently divorced. She had re-entered the dating scene, and she had multiple partners now. She was 
taking a more recreational approach to her sexual activity than she had when she was married and earlier in life. And she was not postmenopausal, so she absolutely needed contraception still. And she wasn't using a condom. And she asked me, well, why, why would I do that? And I said to her, well, because your risk for being exposed to sexually transmitted infections is significantly higher and you could get pregnant. And she said, well, I'm not going to get pregnant. I'm 50. And I said, well, that is actually not the case. And this could be a crisis for you in terms of your health, your wellness, and the stability of your life. And she had absolutely no idea. And in that regard, in terms of condom use, I see a lot more wisdom amongst my teenagers than I do amongst my middle-aged women who are professional people. And that discussion about knowledge and planning reminded her of something else. And, you know, this, this also sort of leads us down a different tributary around women and work. And I, I don't, I, I, my guess is that you'll get considerable pushback from this statement that I'm about to make, but I feel really compelled to make it because it's really a women's health issue and affects work dramatically. And that is that, it, it, that we have more and more women who are delaying their reproductive lives, you know, who are starting their, their pregnancies, their first pregnancy at 38, 39, 41, which is very complicated, puts them at a significantly higher risk. And now what I'm doing in, in my work is something I never imagined, which is I'm saying to women in their 20s, what are your plans for having a family? They respond, oh, I'm not going to be thinking about that for ages. And Evelyn pushes back. Because I need you to consider starting your family in your mid-20s so that A, you have time for child spacing. B, you can be sure your fertility is at its best. And C, you're not so exhausted. You need your stamina. And they're absolutely stunned. And yet, the reason I say this is because when I work with professional women who have very demanding jobs are having their, thir- their first baby at 34, they're ready to fall over in a heap between dealing with the responsibilities of their children, dealing with the demands of their job, and then trying to attend to their marriages. And so there's a planning problem here that people aren't recognizing because they say, well, I want to get really established in my career. And while I'm sensitive to that, I also know that people can be established in their career or be reestablished in their career at pretty much any point in their lives, but they cannot rely on their eggs nor their stamina at any point in their lives. I'm not sure how easy it is to reestablish yourself in a career, actually, and I think that's why so many women wait. I have to admit I was squirming when Evelyn was talking about this, not because of the career part, but because not all of us have partners when we're in our 20s or even in our 30s. How many of us have been in that situation where you thought maybe you could see family life on the horizon and then something happens and you and your partner break up? I always say this, we don't all have neat and tidy lives that fit into this pretty box where everything's done and dusted by the time you're 29. I certainly never wanted to put off, you know, having a kid, but then life happens to some of us and you don't have the opportunity to have children when you're even 34. Oh, it's absolutely true, and this is the complexity of raising this issue with people when I see them. However, this has been a cultural shift in terms of priority also. The priority has been in 
educated women becoming increasingly educated and focusing more and more on their professional lives and less and less on motherhood or on marriages. And I'm not saying that this is good or bad. I'm just saying that one of the consequences of that is what I'm talking about, which is that I'm seeing women at 34 and 35 who are starting their families and up against an, an enormous um, complexity, constellation of risk factors. So it's a very interesting payoff, you know, or trade-off rather. And as somebody who grew up and remembers clearly at 57, I so remember when Ms. Magazine first hit the newsstand and the, and the feminist movement was gaining ground. You know, what I heard from the feminist movement was not that I needed to do everything that I wanted to do, but that now I had a choice of doing what I wanted to do. And I think what's happened for a lot of women is that the message that they've gotten is, well, I mean, you can do it all. You can do everything. And my contention is not really, (laughs) not really, and be able to maintain the most important pieces and parts because it's too splitting for us. And our, our work environment in the United States doesn't help us do many things except for work. So women are faced with a really complex choice. I'm going to let you give the feedback on that. I'm curious to hear from people who did have children later about how that's working out, and especially how much you and your partner divide all the kid and home responsibilities. That's something else Evelyn and I touched on last time. Next time, things get personal. Evelyn's work has been intense lately, and she has not been taking her own advice about tending to her relationship. She still sends out a regular email blast to her followers about all things sexual, but her spouse is not impressed. So sometimes she'll say to me, you know, really, how honest are you going to be with them? It's been five weeks and you're going to be writing something about sex as if you're an expert. That's next time on The Broad Experience, along with a lot of other stuff. Evelyn is the author of two books, The Secret Lives of Teen Girls and Women, Sex, Power and Pleasure. She and I will be back next week. I'm Ashley Miltite. See you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.